Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> ah, hello. Good to see you return once again to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we've got a curious little thing. It is a ring that uh, you probably wouldn't recognize anything about this ring, any of the inscriptions, uh, because it is a ring worn by a member of a clandestine organization called the Knights of Lazarus. But you say you have heard of this organization. Well, then you may have seen the topic of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the mutoscope and take a look at a discovery of witches. A Discovery of Witches is a show that I, I'd heard about. I'd seen advertisements for it uh, when I picked up the Shudder streaming service. Uh, I saw it uh, as, as a part of that, uh, all the episodes on that streaming service. Uh, so it's something that was on my radar and something that I had always wanted to check out, but just never really took the time, being that this series kicked off on Sky One in the UK back in 2018. But I really didn't know much about the series, and it was just something I had kind of put on the back burner until I watched the new film that came out last year called Silent Night, uh, starring Keira Knightley and Matthew Good. And I really enjoyed Matthew Good's performance in this because he played that great dry British tongue-in-cheek humor that that so many so many great uh, British comedic actors have have done to great effect, and I really enjoyed him. So I was looking up. His 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 filmography and i saw oh he's in a discovery of witches that's why his face looked familiar i saw it on the advertisements uh, for this tv series so i i thought to myself you know what i think it's finally time to watch this and i knew it was a series that my wife had even talked about an interest in watching and you have to know my wife and i have a lot of similar taste, but when it comes to the TV shows and the movies we both like, uh, I mean, there's a lot of common ground there, but I am into horror, fantasy, and science fiction, and she is not so much. It's not to say she doesn't watch any of that because, you know, we've watched, uh, we watched the, the Marvel and the DC movies, which, you know, that's, that's fantasy, that's science fiction. She'll watch that, you know, she's watched some horror movies over the years, Bram Stoker's Dracula, The Sixth Sense, Silence of the Lambs, things of that nature. So it's not like she is averse to watching any genre, but she's very particular as, as to what, what her, I think, criteria is that if if it seems real and plausible uh she doesn't want to have any part of it if it is about things that go bump in the night creatures that are reaching out front of the bed she doesn't want to have any part of it so when something came along that you know this kind of ties into genre uh it's certainly not horror even though it does deal with some of the tropes of horror vampires and witches and whatnot it's it's not horror by any stretch of the imagination but it certainly does fall into the fantasy 
category, which we'll talk about where uh, people have drawn some comparisons to fantasy that I'm not so big on, but but that's that's for uh, another point in this in this talk about uh, a discovery of witches. But it was something that we both wanted to watch, and it was something that was kind of genre ish that uh, we could both sit down and watch. So I was all about that to spend some time with my wife watching a TV show about witches and vampires and demons. You know, that's that's all right. That's good stuff in my book. So we both sat down to watch this. And as we watched this series, which wrapped up a little over a week ago, on Friday the 18th, I believed, uh, wrapped up the series, uh, I thought, you know what? I really want to talk about this series because there were a lot of good things about it. And there were a lot of things I didn't like about it. And there was a lot of potential in this series that I think was untapped, but it was also good enough that I think this is a, a great opportunity for, you know, people who really like the genre stuff, the horror, the fantasy, the sci-fi, you know, like the blood and the guts and the scares and, and all that for them to be able to connect with somebody that might be in their life that doesn't really like all that harder edged horror fantasy and sci-fi this is this is fantasy light and this show is a great way to bridge the gap between those who love you know horror and fantasy stuff like that and those who uh, are a little ambivalent at best about it so as we sat down to watch this i really wanted to dive into knowing more about this series and and where it started because this is actually based on a book series the all souls trilogy a trilogy of books the first one is a discovery of witches the second book is shadow of night and the third book in the series the book of life which were written by historian deborah harkness now as i said she's a historian so she's written a lot of works that were based on history they're historical non-fiction books she's never she had never before this written any fiction and i i can't remember i i was reading about where this all started you know it was kind of came out uh, around the craze of harry potter and twilight and stuff like that and essentially i i think she had the idea of taking uh, these fantasy creatures and putting them in a story that was steeped in like actual history. Now, to be fair and to be quite transparent, I have never read these books, but I've, I've read a little bit about them and what the stories entailed and some of the differences between the books and the TV series. You know, I can't comment too much. I'm going to try and, and comment uh, mainly on the, the TV series because, like I said, I haven't read the books, so I don't know the books. But there's a lot of history involved in this story. And as a historian, uh, sometimes it felt in this story, things lacked as a, as a writer of fiction. And this was her first work, Deborah Harkness's first work of fiction. There were some fish, fiction aspects of the story and storytelling that just kind of missed the mark. I, we'll get into detail about that. And as a historian, I think there was a little too much focus on the history aspect and not the story building aspect in this series. But it didn't make for the, I'm sure the books are an interesting read because I have to imagine just what little history, I mean, we got a lot of history, I should say, in the TV series. I got to imagine there's like uh, that and, and tenfold in, in the books. So it's very history uh, heavy, 
I have to imagine the books are and from what I understand of the books. This is not light reading. These are hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of pages that uh, a lot of these books entail. So there's, there's a lot in there, which I know a lot of fans kind of felt like the story was a little rushed. But like I said, we'll get into that. I'm going to do a light overview of the characters and the the plots of the three seasons because they did a season based on each book. Uh, the first season was based on the, the first book, A Discovery of Witches. The second book was uh, Shadow of Night, which was pretty much the second season. And then the third season and final book in the series corresponded with the Book of Life. But A Discovery of Witches starts out with Diana Bishop. She is a tenured historian at Yale University. Uh, she's studying at Oxford. And she's there doing some research, uh, played by Teresa Palmer. Of course, uh, I, I couldn't remember where I could place her from, but she's done some genre stuff. Uh, she was a part of I Am Number 4. She was in the theatrical release of the horror film Lights Out. So she, she's done some work in the genre before, but uh, she was probably, uh, I, I hate to say it, but in this cast, which I absolutely loved this cast. I thought everyone was fantastic. She was probably the, uh, her performance was probably the one I enjoyed the least, but that's not to say I didn't enjoy it. Uh, it, it was fine for me. I know a lot of people have complained that it was like watching bad soap opera acting. I, I don't think it was that bad. That That's a little harsh. She's an Australian playing an American in this. So maybe in the, maybe some of her acting was uh, hampered by trying to pull off an American accent. I, I don't know. But of all the actors, she was the one. I, I didn't enjoy her performance as much. But like I said, as much. It's not to say I didn't enjoy her performance. Uh, Matthew Good plays Matthew Claremont or Matthew de Claremont. He's a vampire, a professor of biochemistry, and pretty much he is the uh, he's the knight in shining armor of this of this series. And there's a huge cast of characters. Uh, Edward Blumel uh, plays Marcus Whitmore. He is a sire, uh, essentially a son. Uh, Matthew de Claremont. Uh, turned him into a vampire, so now he's essentially his son and colleague. He does a really good job. He doesn't have a long list of credits as far as movies and television go, but he's a young actor, and he's an actor that I would like to see more of. Uh, another actor that just, his name, well, his name should precede himself. Uh, Owen Teal plays Peter Knox. He is a high-ranking witch uh, a member of a congregation, which we'll talk about uh, here shortly, but he played Alistair Thorne on Game of Thrones, and he plays that kind of pompous asshole character that he just, he plays, so I'm sure he's a lovely man, uh, but he just plays that that brutish dickhead better than than most people and it was it was a, a great treat to see him uh you know we saw him for for some seasons on game of thrones and to see him back in another show was just i was really excited to see him uh, as a part of this but uh, the basic plot of this first season is essentially diana bishop 
finds this book that has supposedly been lost for centuries. Uh, Matthew Claremont has been looking for this. Everybody is looking for this book, Ashmole 782. And it's a situation where it only appears to her. Why does it only appear to her? Uh, she has no nothing special about her that we know of, but Matthew Good's character, Matthew de Claremont, he, uh, he comes across Diana Bishop and becomes her protector. And, and it's essentially uh, like the name of the book implies a discoverer, which is we discover that uh, Diana Bishop is a witch and the Peter Knox character uh, played by Owen Teal uh, is after her to get this book, this Ashmole 782, because it is thought by all of the different groups of creatures in this in this story to be something special. The witches think it's the first grimoire. Vampires feel it is their the book of their origins. The demons, uh, demons in this, and we'll we'll kind of go over this right now. The the different creatures in this. Of course, uh, there are witches, and they play the witches pretty much how you know traditional witches are played. Uh, no, I'm not talking about pointy black hats and crooked noses with green skin or anything like that, riding brooms all around. Uh, but but they play them in the traditional modern version of a witch. Uh, the vampires are pretty close to... No, I take that back. They're not close to what we consider vampires at all. Vampires, uh, they, they do drink blood. Uh, they do have super speed and hearing and that sort of thing. Uh, they don't seem to have any aversion to sunlight. Uh, they do not have fangs, which really kind of disappoints me. I want my vampires to have some sort of fangs. Just makes it more convenient for biting into people and sucking blood. Uh, just that's a. It seems like a an evolutionary uh, necessity right there. But uh, but yeah, they're not afraid of crosses or anything like that. So essentially the blood and the superpowers are, are the only traditional things about these vampires. Demons, on the other hand, are the big question mark of this series because they're not demons in the sense where they are minions of Lucifer uh, damned souls or anything like this they don't really appear to have any power uh there's they don't even really go into it much in the in the show but doing some research and reading about uh demons in this world that deborah harkness has created uh they have a little bit of like clairvoyancy they can uh, have visions of the future most of them become artists and philosophers and things like that but they really don't dive into what makes demons uh, a creature or special in this and that was kind of uh, a shortcoming i think not just of the show but i think of the source material that the the demon part of it was never really fleshed out and the demon aspect of it played more into the social commentary that deborah harkness was trying to make which we'll talk about towards the end of this but you've got all of these factions uh trying to to get this book this ashmole uh, 782 which is based on an actual book that uh, has gone missing and has been missing but diana bishop is the only one who's ever had her hands on it here in the the, the present day and that leads to a lot of, like I said, all these different factions gunning for her, trying to get her, trying to get 
access to this book, this magical book. Which leads us to, we talked about the congregation. The congregation is a group of representatives from all the different creatures. The witches have three representatives. The vampires have three representatives. The demons have three representatives. And they're kind of like the governing body uh, of all these creatures. And they uphold the covenant, which is a an agreement by all the creatures to not interbreed, uh, not mix the, the different creature races, so to speak, and uh, a very antiquated way of thinking. And that's what a lot of this story is about. Matthew and Diana fall in love while he's protecting her as she's, you know, uh, discovering that she is this powerful witch. And their relationship, very much Romeo and Juliet in, in inspiration, uh, is breaking all the rules and breaking the covenant, which puts uh, Matthew at odds with his brother, uh, Baldwin, who is the head of the the congregation. And the and the story plays out in this first season with Peter Knox trying to to get Diana Bishop and essentially control her power. Uh, if he controls her, he can get this book and just, you know, he, he's a witch. She's a very powerful witch that's just discovering her powers. And that's the basis of this first season. The second season takes a little bit of a twist uh, to evade Peter Knox. Uh, Matthew and Diana use some of Diana's power uh, to, to go back in time. They go back to uh, Elizabethan London, uh, 1590, and they're going back in time, one, to evade Peter Knox, and two, to find this book, this Ashmole uh, 782, the Book of Life, as they call it, uh, more so on the TV show. And this is where a lot of history, you know, that Deborah Harkness really kind of shows her hand at, at how much she knows about history, because a lot of history is, is crammed into this, a lot of historical figures. Years. The, the playwright Christopher Marlowe is in here, Queen Elizabeth I, uh, John D., Edward Kelly, uh, a lot of historical figures and a lot of uh, historical events are referenced throughout this this season and and we essentially see it play out uh, where Matthew and Diana are, are searching for this book because the book in their time had three missing pages and they need those pages to if they eventually find this book to complete it and unlock the power of the book of life while they're in Elizabethan England uh, they fall in love even more they get married they get pregnant with twins and we come into season three which is the the final book in the series and the final season which just wrapped up here back on uh, the 18th based off the final book the the book of life where we see these heroes get the three pages they need to complete this this book of life they conquer peter knox quite quickly uh there are other characters uh, another witch named satu which they build up as a huge villain op to opposite diana she's vanquished quickly there is a minor character that were introduced in season two called benjamin fuchs he is revealed to be the big bad guy all along although we didn't know anything about him there was nothing to suggest he was behind the scenes pulling the strings until we we're told he did that in the last season and he's vanquished pretty quickly and they overturn the congregation and disband the covenant and everybody can intermingle and it, it just all ends quite 
quite conveniently. Now, before I get into all the things that bothered me, uh, my wife and I discussed this ad nauseum. There, there were a lot of things I really loved about this series. It, it was an enjoyable series. Was it a perfect series? No, not really. Uh, but very few are. Uh, this story, uh, maybe not the production, but the story in and of itself had a lot of problems, uh, storytelling-wise. But this production of it, I really enjoyed the cast. I, I didn't mind Teresa Palmer. I thought she did a fine job. Matthew Good was was really good. Uh, like I said, Edward Blumel uh, was fantastic. Uh, Alicia Hart, who plays uh, Miriam, uh, Owen Teal, who plays uh, you know the Peter Knox character, uh, just did a, a fantastically bombastic villain that that I love to watch. I really liked Stephen Cree, who played Gallo Glass in seasons two and season three. Uh, he was an actor like uh, like Edward Blumel that I really want to see more from them because I really enjoyed their performances. Uh, there's just a laundry list of really good actors in here and a lot of interesting characters. There's the character Domenico played by uh, Greg Chillen, who uh, he, I think he did a really good job. He played the character as it was written as well as he could. I just don't think the character is written very well. Uh, I don't think uh, we get much of a motivation from this character who is kind of trying to manipulate things behind the scene. He does have, uh, I mean, we do get glimpses of what his end game is, but we really don't know how what he's doing and how he's trying to manipulate things is going to bring that end about until we actually see him where he wants to be at the end of it all. Trevor Eve plays a character named uh, Gerbert, which <laughs> every time my wife and I watched it, we're always making fun of. We were like, I wish somebody would just call him Gerbert because the, the character is a real dickhead. And uh, it, on the same lines as the Peter Knox character, he's a vampire. He's trying to overthrow the de Claremont family, who is kind of like the big ruling family uh, amongst vampires. The, you know, the uh, Philippe de Claremont, he is the one, he was the father figure to Matthew and, and the father of Baldwin. And he is the one that created the congregation, created the covenant. And that's why the de Claremonts are held in such regard in vampire society in this in this universe and Jaber wants to he wants to be in charge he wants to run things he wants to to topple the declaremont so he can he can call the shots and run the show but uh, a huge huge dickhead uh but the actor trevor eve uh, plays him great i just every time we watched it, i just want to say oh gerbert stop but nobody called him Gerbert. I was a little disappointed in that. That would have been funny. But I really did love this cast. I, I thought the cast was really good. Uh, I think there's a lot of interesting characters here. And I, I can't. I don't know if I can blame the show for the characters being so underdeveloped. Uh, because I, I have a feeling, and I haven't read the source material, but I have a feeling that some of the characters, you know, I'm sure... We get Diana Bishop background. I'm sure we get more of the Matthew uh, Claremont background. I'm sure we get a little more background on those two main characters. But I have a feeling that a lot of these characters aren't developed very well in the book. I may be wrong on that. But I, I given what I think about the storytelling uh, that went on with this series, I'm, I'm guessing uh, that could be blamed on the book as well. 
because like I said, there's a lot of underdeveloped characters and there's a lot of underdeveloped story here. Everything happens too easy for these characters. Oh, we've got to find this. So we're going to go here and we might have face a little bit of an inconvenience, but we're going to get what we need. And then we're going to go over here and we're going to do something there. And there's going to be a minor inconvenience, but we're going to dispatch with that really quick. And we're going to get, uh, you know, reach our goal here. And then we're going to go here and we're going to get this book and, you know, there'll be a minor inconvenience, but you know, we'll get it and move on. And it's just, it's very linear storytelling in the sense that there's no twists and turns. Everything happens how you kind of expect it would happen if the good guys are going to win. And there's nothing in this, even even like the one death. There's one character that that dies. Diana's Aunt Sarah, her her partner, M, is killed by Peter Knox. And and you really yeah, you kind of saw it coming. It really wasn't that big of a twist, and it really didn't. Uh, it was sad, certainly any time a character, because I, I thought the the woman who who played uh, Emily Mather, Valerie Pettiford, I, I thought she did a good job, but it didn't have any bearing on the outcome of the story. So it really was just killing her character off, just to kill it off, just to say somebody we lost somebody during this this big fight. Uh, because there was a line at the end about uh, all the people we've lost. I'm like, only one person died. <laughs> How can you talk about all the people that, that were lost in, in this battle when only one person actually, one good guy actually died? That was one of my biggest complaints of this is that uh, everything just happened too easy for the antagonist. There might have been some minor inconveniences. But they eventually got what they wanted whenever they went somewhere to get something or do something. Uh, my wife was really afraid that the finale was going to be lackluster. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm not going to hold out hope. But, you know, we you set up these two big bad guys. Satu is this... Uh, this character that we're introduced to in season one, and she is a witch, a very powerful witch that is set up to be kind of this this bad version of Diana and this this nemesis for Diana. And then we don't see those two together again to fight, at least, until the very last episode. And when I'm expecting this big witches battle and magic, and it could have been really cool. And Diana just does this spell that takes away all of Satu's powers. And it is over just like that. She busts into this room. Uh, Matthew Good's character, Matthew de Claremont, is being drained of his blood and, and practically lifeless. And Benjamin Fuchs has has taken him hostage and he is ready to fight and she does a magic fire bow and he's dead and it's over. The fight is over just like that. I, I mean, I have to put some onus on the production because far be it for me, uh, we've seen productions. Game of Thrones is a prime example where in, in the interest of making the show what they thought was going to be better, Dan and Dave, who ran that show uh, and eventually ran it into the ground, 
they made changes to make the story more interesting for te- for television. And in some instances, you have to do that. So if the storytelling in the novels is that vanilla and that bland, uh, you've got to amp it up. You know, take some artistic license and, and amp up the, the tension, amp up the stakes, amp up the fighting, for God's sakes. But I can't completely blame that because if they want to stay true to the books, uh, because this book series does have a big following, and I'm sure people enjoy it, uh, much like a lot of people enjoy stuff like Twilight, the Twilight series. Not my cup of tea, but, you know, it's got an audience. I, I'm sure they wanted to keep this as true to the books as possible, and I'm wondering if it is because the books are that bland as far as the story goes. Yeah, it has interesting characters. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot more that we don't see on the TV series about Diana Bishop and Matthew Claremont. Uh, history of both these characters that we don't see on the TV show. But I have a feeling that the rest of the characters take a, a big backseat and that the story suffers because there was more attention paid to the historical aspects than the actual journey of these characters and creating a complex uh, and, and interesting story. I know for a fact there there are some characters like the Satu character. There's a another character, Juliet, who is a, a vampire that is kind of made into a, a bit of a bad guy uh, searching for Matthew at the beginning. Uh, from what I understand, they don't show up. Satu and Juliet are in season one from, from the very beginning, but in the first book, they don't show up until the very end of the book. There are a couple characters uh, who are, who are kind of integral to some of the story that plays out in season two, but Sophie and Nathan, uh, they're demons. Uh, Sophie is a demon that is born of a witch, uh, which is supposed to not be a thing. Uh, they are in, and they're integral to the story uh, from the beginning of the series in season one, but in the book, they don't show up until the very end. So I, I think... In the books, like I said, I haven't read those, but I'm guessing in the books, a lot of characters and their development and a lot of the story really suffer because Deborah Harkness is a historian. So her main love is history. So in the effort to try and cram as much historical references and things like that into this, I think a lot of the story suffered, especially for somebody who is a first-time author of fiction. But like I said, That doesn't mean I didn't enjoy this. That doesn't mean my wife didn't enjoy this. We did enjoy this. This was light fare. This was my wife and I could kick back and watch a show about vampires and demons and witches. And, you know, the story is interesting enough. The characters are interesting enough. Do I wish they could have delved into the characters a little more certainly but this is a show i didn't have to think too much about to be quite honest Uh, i could sit back on the couch with my wife and just enjoy an interesting enough story interesting enough characters played by really good actors and that made it enjoyable enough for me if you're looking for things mind-blowing and if you're looking for a reinvention of the wheel in a good way when it comes to vampires and witches, this isn't the show for you. Uh, but like I said, if if you have somebody in your life like me who, who's not really big on the hard horror and the hard sci-fi and the hard fantasy, but you think they might be interested, I mean, this definitely has a love story aspect to it. 
Uh, it does have a little bit of uh, intrigue and, and political intrigue when you're talking about the politics of all these different creatures and the congregation. Uh, there's enough interesting things to hold your attention. I just don't think it's done as well as it could have been. And of course, there's a lot of uh, a lot of theme to unpack in this. It's definitely with the congregation. You have the vampires kind of playing the old guard. You've got the witches who are kind of the uh, let's change things. They kind of represent the progressive uh, aspect of it. You've got the demons who kind of represent uh, minorities and peoples who are kind of discriminated against. And it's not really, there's no sense of one side's bad, one side's good, and, and that sort of thing. It's more of a, hey, we have to change things to make things good for everybody and not just the, the chosen few who, who have always run things. And that's, that's not a bad thing. That's, that's, a, that's a thing I can get behind. Uh, that's, a, that's a theme I can get behind. There's a lot about equality and inclusion in this. I think that is really put front and center in, in some of the storytelling and some of the characters. Uh, and so that was kind of enjoyable to see something like that, to see uh, a fantasy story with a lot of representation. I mean, that's, that I don't think is a bad thing at all. I, some people uh, get all huffy and puffy about that. Uh, some people don't mind it. I certainly didn't mind it. it, it to me, I think when you can include uh, more people and more races and more lifestyle choices and, and what have you into horror, that just opens up this genre uh, and this certainly isn't horror, uh, but fantasy, certainly. It, it just opens things up to more people who might start delving into uh, these types of genres and creating new things and and getting new stories and new perspectives. I, I think, you know, that sort of inclusion is is a good thing. And, and it was well, uh, well done in this series, I think. Uh, it didn't seem too heavy-handed. <laughs> I did joke with my wife, though, uh, because the Diana Bishop character, anytime somebody tells her not to do something, uh, she is going to do that thing. And <laughs> every time, I was like, oh, here's her down with the patriarchy moment. Uh, she's not going to listen to anybody. She's not going to listen to Matthew. She's going to go off and do whatever she wants. My wife certainly enjoyed those moments, I, I will add. Like I said, I, I enjoyed this for what it was. It was light fare that I could sit back and watch uh, on an evening with my wife and not have to really think about anything. Just enjoy, like I said, uh, an okay story. Interesting characters, uh, while underdeveloped, interesting characters and, and good actors. I, I thought the acting was good. The look of the series was really good. I thought the special effects of this series was, was done very well. I mean, it's not special effects heavy, but there are uh, a bit of special effects in this. Uh, and when they did special effects, I, I thought it looked really good. Uh, it was a well, well crafted series in regards to sets and special effects and costumes and the the music of it was really good not not only just the score but they did some needle drop uh <laughs> needle dropping throughout the series and I, I know it especially in the second season i didn't notice it as much in the third season and i only noticed it sporadically in the first season but they would do uh, a needle drop song at the end of an episode and it was usually a 
a modern cover of like a classic 80s pop tune or what have you. And they had some really cool needle drops in this in this series that uh, my wife and I both really enjoyed. So if you've seen A Discovery of Witches, I'd be interested to hear what you have to say about it. If you've read the books, I'd love to hear what you have to say about the books compared to the, the show. Uh, I do know that, it, like I said, these books are really long. And I know a lot of fans of the books felt the series uh, was a little rushed and and having not read the books i i would agree it did feel like they really rammed through a lot of a lot of material and it feels like there was probably a lot of stuff skipped over for for time's sake but uh, i'd be interested to to hear what anyone has to say on the the books versus the tv series uh, if you haven't watched it uh, like i said you gotta know what you're getting into uh, but if you want some light fare just something you don't really have to think too much about uh, if you're not uh, you know, squeamish about a, a love story. You know, this isn't Twilight, for the love of God. I would, have, I would have drawn the line. If any of these vampires sparkled, I would have drawn the line. It's like, nope, I'm out. Because this, this story gets a lot of comparisons to stuff like Twilight and Harry Potter and... And things of that nature. It felt very True Blood-ish without, you know, True Blood though was was a lot of sex, a lot of nudity, a lot of profanity, a lot of gore. This was, it felt True Blood-ish without all those aspects uh, of it. But like I said, light fare and an enjoyable watch, a good enough watch. If you just want to kick back and watch something that you don't really have to think much about and you want to have something that has kind of a fantasy vibe, I would suggest checking out The Discovery of Witches. If you're a little more, you have a little more discerning taste, you might want to uh, give this one a pass, but uh, but I enjoyed it well enough. I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on The Discovery of Witches, the series wrap-up. Of course, uh, we, we wrapped up the whole series in... I don't know how long this is going to turn out to be, but uh, uh, some of the highlights, some of the lowlights, you can find out uh, what's going on in the world of horror, fantasy, and fi sci-fi on our Facebook fan page. Uh, we're always posting articles from various sites around the internet on those genres we love, as well as posting new trailers from movies and TV series that are on the way. So lots to look forward to there at Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on Facebook and right here on the podcast. Speaking of whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on, uh, thanks for listening first and foremost. Please subscribe, download, share this podcast with anyone you know who loves horror, fantasy, and sci-fi. And uh, as always, please uh leave a review five stars would be awesome but whatever review you leave us i certainly appreciate you taking the time to do that so until next time thank you for visiting odds bodkin's curiosity shop we hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon but even though you may come back you never really get to leave odds bodkin's curiosity shop <laughs>